Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, a show of solidarity. Rutgers Newark grad students and faculty stage a walkout and join the picket line as the RWJ nurses strike enters day 63. It is not about the money. It is about the safe staffing for our patients. Plus, community members share their experiences with the anti-bullying task force, looking to address harassment, intimidation, and bullying in our state schools. We must do better. We must help our babies. Also, a veterans home overhaul. Governor Murphy and legislators announce a new oversight plan for our state-run veterans homes after a scathing DOJ report criticized their operations during the pandemic. There's plenty of work to be done. And calls to resign after a Patterson councilman pushes a police officer during a public meeting. And at this most recent public meeting, he shoved the police officer. The only person that I touched was the officer who touched me. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. Funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And Orsted, committed to the creation of a new long-term, sustainable, clean energy future for New Jersey. From NJPBS, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venosi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Thursday night. I'm Brianna Venosi. The turmoil at Rutgers University spilled into the streets today as crowds of faculty, staff and students staged a walkout from classes in front of the Paul Robeson Campus Center in Newark, protesting in solidarity with union members from Rutgers, New Brunswick and the striking nurses from Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital, who've been on the picket line for more than two months now. They chanted and carried signs as members of the Board of Governors met inside the school. The Rutgers community says they're fed up over a number of recent decisions by leadership, from ousting the chancellor at the Newark campus to merging medical schools and rejecting the nurses' union contract terms. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas has the story. Safe staffing! Safe staffing! Hundreds of nurses from Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick joined with faculty, staff and students from Rutgers University in Newark today protesting a range of concerns their unions share. The nurses are on day 63 of a strike that's left them without pay or health benefits. Their cries today were to stand strong and keep fighting. We as nurses are looking for a safe contract, a fair contract. It is not about the money. It is about the safe staffing for our patients, which if we get the safe staffing, every single nurse in this state stands to benefit from our victory. We're in the trenches. We're the ones 
nurses that take care of you. Nurse Deborah Stoner calling out members of the Rutgers Board of Governors that held their meeting here on campus today. In the room were the hospital president, Mark Manigan, as well as Rutgers University president, Jonathan Holloway. The school and hospital are connected through the merger of the Rutgers New Jersey Medical School and Robert Wood Johnson Medical School. Rutgers University staff have a contract. They're out here today in solidarity with the University Hospital nurses, and they're also calling for the removal of Rutgers University President Jonathan Holloway. When a vote on a medical school merger occurs, despite the input of, uh, input of impacted faculty, staff, and students, and when it is abruptly decided not to renew a chancellor's contract, despite a stellar performance Student Representative Stefania Searcy referring to Holloway's letting go of Newark Chancellor Nancy Cantor in August. At the end of September, the Rutgers University Senate passed a vote of no confidence for Holloway. We will not sit by as courses are cut in the name of austerity, harming both lecturers and their students. We will not stay silent while management falsely and shamelessly blames our contract victory for unnecessary tuition hikes. The calls for Holloway's ouster weren't the only ones heard today. There's no place for a CEO like Mark Manigan on the board of Rutgers while he's union busting and refusing to support basic patient safety. They're trying to break our union. They have a lot of hospitals in this state and they're afraid that if we are successful, they'll have to extend a good contract to everybody, which would be to them terrible, but to the community, it would be amazing. Robert Wood Johnson is part of the RWJ Barnabas Health System, an underwriter of NJ Spotlight News. They told us in a statement they look forward to resuming negotiations tomorrow and hope the union shares our commitment to reaching a resolution. A federal monitor will be present during the talks tomorrow. In Newark, I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. Families of bullied students offered heartbreaking testimony at a public hearing Wednesday night for the state's new anti-bullying task force as it looks for ways to improve how school districts address the rising instances of bullying, harassment, and intimidation. It comes as the state has faced an onslaught of severe bullying incidents and complaints New Jersey's anti-bullying laws aren't doing enough to protect the students who are targeted. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports. We must do better. We must help our babies. We are failing miserably at protecting them. Her voice broke as Elena Loalbo told New Jersey's anti-bullying task force about her late daughter, Felicia. The 11-year-old sixth grader, a student in the Mount Holly School District, died this past February after enduring relentless bullying, her mother said. My daughter, Felicia Mel, attempted suicide by hanging herself in her school bathroom which later resulted in her passing on February 8th. We send our children into these schools for an education, not so they can be tormented and ignored. 
This panel's tasked with making changes, recommending improvements to New Jersey's Anti-Bullying Bill of Rights Act enacted in 2011. They called this hearing so we can hear some more powerful stories of students, staff and families and better ways that we can help. They listened as families, educators and officials told those stories. Many asked for stricter guidelines to hold school districts more accountable for reporting so-called harassment, intimidation and bullying or HIB events. I think having some type of audit system for our HIB policies would be really helpful. Sweeping under the rug just enables them to have better funding. Parents like Nicole Nicholas also asked for better enforcement of school reporting guidelines. Her eight-year-old son Matt is disabled and a target of bullying, she told the task force. My son is trying to scratch and self-harm himself. I know it is a direct result of bullying. I will never forget the hurt he felt at being ostracized at that school. She's pulled him out of classes in the Willingboro school system. What wasn't happening, the investigations weren't taking place. I'm still waiting for HIBs from March, and they still haven't been done to this day. It's now a new academic year. My child has started on homebound because he does not feel safe at all at school. We reached out to Willingboro and Mount Holly school districts for comment, but got no response. New Jersey's been rocked by recent high-profile student bullying and suicide cases, including Adriana Kutch and Berkeley and Mallory Grossman and Rockaway. Both of those cases also involved cyberbullying, kids posting on social media. Task Force member Stuart Green. We need to be holding uh, social media companies responsible. Uh, ever since they began, uh, they've been profiting like crazy off the suffering of kids. They've been completely irresponsible. Some witnesses said schools need more resources to deal with the rise in students' mental health problems. Other witnesses complain New Jersey needs to broaden its rules, which require a distinct classification, such as race or gender, for events to qualify as bullying. Lauren Cohen took her daughter out of public school. The staff knew it, and they did nothing. I was told, Mrs. Cohen, although your daughter is experiencing bullying, she's not protected because she's not different. The task force advised parents they couldn't intervene in individual cases. The task force will issue a final report with its recommendations to the governor and the legislature by the end of this year. In Trenton, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. New Jersey state-run veterans' homes are getting a major overhaul following a blistering report from the Department of Justice, which criticized the facilities for high COVID-19-related death tolls, a failed pandemic response, and poor medical care that continues today. Governor Murphy and a handful of Democratic leaders on Wednesday announced plans to reform how New Jersey oversees vets' homes by taking the facilities out of the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs and into a a new state agency. For more details, I'm joined by our healthcare writer, Lilo Stainton. Lilo, hey, it's good to talk to you. Uh, we have had so many, it seems, reports come out in the last several days about the veterans' homes. What specifically is this plan that Democrats seem to be uh, in agreement with? Right. Well, the first thing they did say is they called it a conceptual plan, um, and it's clear that it will take some time to put into action. But it's it's basically three parts. Um, there is discussion of creating a make legislation that would essentially move the 
um, the veterans homes out of what is now called DEMAVA, the Department of Military and Veterans Affairs, into a new entity um, with cabinet level authority. They also are talking about appointing a, a veterans advocate uh, at a fairly high level that could, could raise these issues in the future. Um, and the third piece is there's an acceptance or sort of an acknowledgement that the federal government is likely to send a federal monitor to oversee any changes, um, which was, as they said in their statement, something that was put in place at the Department of Children and Families and probably help the process to make sure that children and families are being better served. So they were looking at this as a positive opportunity um, to make change. I mean, this is a pretty big move to completely dismantle how the department works right now. What specifically was so scathing in the report that prompted this? Yeah, I mean, the reports, they talked about, you know, chronic understaffing, lack of understanding of basic infection control protocols, um, you know, poor communication with families and, and within the staff. Um, there's a whole litany of, of problems. I think the, the real issue is that, um, I mean, COVID was was devastating in nursing homes across the state and in, across the country. This was not uniquely a New Jersey problem, but there seemed to be a real reluctance to deal with the problems um, up front at the veterans' homes. Things like having telling staff not to wear masks the first few weeks because it would scare people. I mean, those are just actions that we now know are completely counter to what we needed to be doing to control the spread of COVID. Um, so it was some pretty glaring stuff. Now, improvements have been made. They've hired an oversight, outside oversight. Um, they've sent in experts from the state. So there are changes underway, um, but more to come. So it sounds like there's a, a lot of coalescing around this idea. It's not the first time, though, that we've heard this brought up. What's the history there for them to have uh, finally arrived at this position? Right. Well, um, interestingly enough, the you know uh, Senator Vitali and Crying have been working on uh, legislation for some time. Um, interestingly enough, the governor's office uh, pointed out to us this morning in an email that uh, Governor Murphy actually raised the issue of separating or dismantling Demava in some way back in 2016 during his campaign. Um, you know, which is an interesting point, but does raise questions about why this hasn't happened yet. You mentioned it's not just limited to the veterans' homes. There have been other scathing reports about nursing homes, about folks with intellectual developmental disabilities who were in the nursing homes and died from COVID as a result of, of poor care there uh, as pertains to those reports. What largely is happening in the state? Why is there this lack of oversight? Yeah, I think um, I think to be fair, part of this is, you know, things that have been going on for a long time that we are now all learning about all at once. So some of this is the perception. Um, but I think, to be honest, there is there is a question of oversight here. Um, one of the things that was particularly interesting to me that was in a federal report, a federal audit from the Inspector General of uh, Department of Health and Human uh, Senior Services uh, that came out this week was they noted that DOH just seems to be very um, literal when it comes to enforcing the rules. So there seems to be so some disagreement on how you interpret rules and what what the goals are. Is it regulatory to meet the letter of the law or to protect the people who live there? Mm, that's a good point. Uh, our healthcare writer, Lilo Stainton, for us. Lilo, thanks as always. Thank you, Bree.
Patterson Mayor Andre Saya is calling on a city council member to immediately resign after an official meeting nearly turned violent Tuesday night. Video shows Councilman Michael Jackson getting in the face of fellow councilman and longtime rival Luis Velez, then pushing a police officer who tries to intervene. As Raven Santana reports, this isn't the first time Jackson's been in the hot seat or been called on to resign. A council meeting in Patterson took a turn for the worst Tuesday night when tempers turned physical when Councilman Michael Jackson became infuriated with fellow Councilman Luis Velez after he says Velez was heckling him while he was speaking about his cousin who was killed in a recent shooting. Basically, Councilman Jackson was speaking about a lot of the real issues that are taking place in our city. At one point, Jackson was seen walking over to where Velez was seated when a police officer intervenes and Jackson in turn pushes the officer. Patterson Mayor Andre Sea is now calling for Councilman Jackson to resign. Sea saying that's only because this isn't the first time Jackson has been in the hot seat. Mike Jackson put his hand on a woman earlier this year at a public meeting. He has twice threatened Councilman Luis Velez at a public meeting. And at this most recent public meeting, he shoved the police officer. There's no reason why he should put his hands on anyone, let alone a police officer. I'm planning to also charge him for this one because at the, the way that he came to me, after the police intervened, they pushed the police he poked my nose. Um, I'm sitting, still sitting at my desk. I don't get up. I got more to lose. I never touched anyone. And in fact, the only person that I touched was the officer who touched me. The officer was right there. He would have known if I touched him. He was there doing his job. And if I touched him, I would have been in handcuffs. Since the incident, the mayor and Velez say council members have felt unsafe and in turn have decided to hold the meetings virtually. Mike Jackson is like Donald Trump, right? He's, he's been charged, he's been charged, and it's like he's almost Teflon. That's got to end. It's not fair to Councilman Luis Velez. It's not fair to my business administrator, Kathleen Long. They're in fear when they go to these meetings because they never know what he's going to do with his outbursts. Uh, it's obvious that neither of them have grown up in this community. If they want to feel unsafe, they should walk in my, in, my, in my ward. Thousands of times, every time someone comes to the microphone, there's a displeasure with the mayor. Never, not once, has there been a moment where there's been someone who's had this, that same uh, episode with Councilman Jackson. Community activist Corey Teague says Jackson is an important and critical voice to have in the community and says Mayor Saya doesn't appreciate that. Andre is, is making calls to whoever he can on a political level to try to silence his voice because to be honest, he wants to put somebody in that first ward seat that is gonna be in lockstep with him so that he doesn't have anyone challenging him up there. I don't have nothing against him. I want him to stray his life. If he got good things to give to the community, give it back to the community. I'm not going to expect an apology. He's not, he's not the type of people to apologize. Saya is calling for Jackson's resignation, but Jackson and ally Corey Teague say that Mayor Saya should resign. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Raven Santana. In our Spotlight on Business report, the years-long fight between a Jersey Shore town that's home to a toxic waste site and the state 
is far from over. Tom's River joined environmental group Save Barnegat Bay this week, filing a lawsuit to overturn a recent settlement reached between New Jersey's Department of Environmental Protection and the company that polluted the ground and water there for decades. The damage led to health problems for people living in and around Tom's River, including a rise in childhood cancer cases. As Ted Goldberg reports, critics are calling the settlement a sweetheart deal. The Sibagaygi settlement proposal hasn't gone over well in Tom's River. Now, the township is joining Save Barnegat Bay to sue and stop the settlement from happening. BASF and its predecessor, Seba, have been exploiting the residents of Tom's River and our environment uh, for the last 60 years. Mayor Mo Hill says the lawsuit challenges the proposal on multiple fronts. The state gives them 250 acres that they can market as uh, commercial real estate, which we don't think is fair to the residents of Tom's River. That land should be deeded to Tom's River as open space. Under a proposal accepted by the DEP, BASF would pay the state $500,000 as part of a natural resources damage settlement. BASF owns the Sibagaygi site, which polluted Tom's River groundwater for decades. The environmental organization Save Barnegat Bay alleges the damage is far worse than $500,000 worth, estimating the true value to be a billion dollars. They were relying upon, in their own words, a green acres valuation that was on a piece of property that we were engaged with in Bretton Woods in Bricktown. Well, that's a mature, wooded parcel not a former Superfund site. The value of those two pieces of land are vastly different. Executive Director Britta Forsberg says the settlement proposal violates New Jersey's Spill Act and accuses the DEP of not giving the public enough time to comment on the proposal. We were called by the DEP into a private Zoom meeting back in December along with a, you know, an entourage of environmental groups. And this is when we first learned about the deal. They had only given 30 days for public comment. 30 days, mind you, that started on December 5th through the holiday period, of which we complained immediately about. First of all, the law at, uh, requires 60 days. Attorney Albert Telsey represents Save Barnegat Bay, but not Tom's River. He says other parts of the settlement violate the law and render the proposal null and void. You can't do environmental or NRD restoration projects on property where it's against local zoning to do it. And Tom's River has local zoning ordinances to say, we don't find that there's any ecological uplift in putting environmental easements on contaminated properties. Peter Hibbard isn't part of the lawsuit, but he's providing technical assistance to save Barnegat Bay after living in Tom's River for more than 40 years. The reason they came here is the dyes that they were making, and dyes have to be stable so they're hard to get rid of. But the color of the wastewater matched the color of the river so nobody would notice. You can see the fence surrounding the Sibagaygi site from his home. His first run-in with contaminated water was in the early 80s. There was mercury, there was cadmium, there was chromium. According to EPA data, those are three of the chemicals Sibagaygi dumped into the ground. Hibbard leads Ocean County citizens for clean water and has spoken out against the settlement several times, saying it doesn't cover the extent of the damage caused by Sibagaygi. A number of the people who had worked there uh, took me, well, showed me on maps where they had dumped barrels and crushed them. And the EPA was not even interested in looking there because they felt they could pick up the contamination before it left the property. 
The DEP tells us they don't comment on ongoing litigation, a lawsuit that could take a while, leaving folks frustrated in Tom's River. For NJ Spotlight News, I'm Ted Goldberg. The political chaos in Washington is fueling uncertainty in the markets. Here's today's closing trading numbers. Be sure to tune in this weekend to NJ BizBeat with Raven Santana. She surveys the landscape of higher education in New Jersey, from financial struggles for our institutions to unique workforce training programs and the latest effort to wipe away student loan debt. Watch it on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel Saturday at 10 a.m. And make sure you catch Reporters Roundtable with David Cruz tomorrow. David kicks off the show with Republican State Senator Anthony Bucco about why the GOP caucus is calling for hearings into Senator Bob Menendez's dealings with the New Jersey Attorney General's office. Then a panel of local reporters break down this week's big political headlines. Watch Roundtable at its new time Fridays at noon on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel. Also a reminder to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. That does it for us tonight. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association, and by the PSEG Foundation. Orsted will provide renewable offshore wind energy, jobs, educational, supply chain, and economic opportunities for the Garden State. Orsted, committed to the creation of a new, long-term, sustainable, clean energy future for New Jersey. Online at us.orsted.com. Life is unpredictable. Health insurance shouldn't be. For over 90 years, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey has provided quality, affordable health plans to New Jersey residents. We have served generations of New Jersey families and businesses and are committed to driving innovations that put you at the heart of everything we do. Our members are our neighbors, our friends, and our families. We're here when you need us most. Horizon, proud to be New Jersey.